I thought this morning, well, I've, I've been, I was speaking to Phil yesterday about um, listening to podcasts and, and the such. And I was listening to one um, about hope, really. But it led me on to listening to another one about uh, Paul's epistle to the Colossians or letter to people at uh, Colossae, really. So uh, I thought we'd have a look and just um, see how far we get. Um, so a, a bit of background first on um, Colossians. Uh, Paul's writing, he, he says that in the, the first couple of verses, and it's to the church at Colossae, um, which is in modern-day Turkey. It was near um, to the church of um, Ephesians, and... Um, or the church in Ephesus, sorry, and was probably a church plant from the church at Ephesus. In the book of uh, Colossians, we we see really it's a book all about Christ. It's all, it, Christ runs all the way through. And um, this is what the church at Colossae was um, suffering with, really, was that they were, they were suffering from influences, in the in the city in the town, from um, some false teaching from Greek philosophy, um, so you know, Greek influences, uh, Jewish influences, and, and Jewish law, and whether Christians should um, New Testament Christians should still practice Greek traditions and law, and they're also um, struggling with mysticism as well so we, we'll touch on it later but things like angel worship or worshiping, worshiping um, people who are not God basically and, and they seem to or you know from what Paul writes it, there seems to be some confusion over whether Christ was fully God or you know part God sort of a, a, a demigod mix but Paul sets out in in this letter that um Christ is, is fully God, he is God, and we'll touch on that later. So the church at Colossae wasn't, hadn't fallen into, into these traps, but these were some things that were um, pushing on the outside, some pressures of the, of the world that were pushing on them. And, um, you know, we, we could say they might have been close to slipping back into some sort of pagan ideals or, you know, thoughts or philosophy and um yeah i was just thinking it might it, it, it's an interesting thing because today we have so much going on outside of of church you know ideas about sort of blend tradition and religion or but paul states very clearly that that christ is is all and if we're taking subtracting from christ then we, we're doing him a disservice really and we see things today like multi-faith religions where it's sort of this mix of um, various religions and it, it really strips away the, the glory and beauty of, of Christ and what he's done for us. It is redeeming work. So we'll start on chapter one and he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, the first three, uh, two verses, sorry, are the introduction, the hello, 
saying who, who's writing, saying who it's to, um, and, you know, wishing peace and, and love to them. But really from verse 3, we see that, that Christ did it all, you know. I mean, in the first three verses, we've got, what, one, two, three mentions of Christ. So Christ is in every verse, not of the whole book, but, you know, for the start, he's in every verse. And, and Paul here praises the Colossians for their faith, love and hope. From verse 3, he says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, which you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And this, you know, this really struck me that hope brings about, you know, brings about love and faith. Yeah, so faith and love are byproducts of hope that we have in Christ. And if we look back to mm, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, we see that it says, and now abide faith, <clears throat> and now abide faith, hope, love, these three but the greatest of these is love. So if we have hope in Christ and our salvation through him, we can see that it brings us faith and love for, for other believers because we have the hope for the future that Christ has set out before us. Without hope, we have no goal to look forward to in heaven, no future with Christ. You know, hope is... I heard someone describe it as hope isn't the rational th thought of, 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 you know, secular society, if that makes sense. It's not something that we can look at the facts and sort of weigh up and, and say, OK, hope sort of comes from faith. We have the hope of Christ and what he has done for us and where our future is. And in turn, that hope gives us more faith and lets us show love to those we care about. And then that, that love and faith can drive us to continue to spread the word of God to, to everyone. And, and that is an act of love in itself to not just um, our fellow believers, but to people who are outside of the faith at the moment. And then in turn, sort of how... Um, the church at Colossae was um, a, a plant. We we can plant a seed in, in someone. We can plant a seed of, of hope for them, even if it's a, a word or, you know, they hear us talk about something in passing. We can plant a, a seed of hope that they can have the hope that lives in us in their lives. And then that can grow into, you know, faith, and then that can grow into love. So we can see sort of a circle of hope building. That hope gives us faith. And faith in turn can give us love. So if we, if we move forward into verse 9. This is where Paul's speaking about um, Christ is, you know, overall is supreme, is, is the one. We see that, that Paul's praying here for the church. He, he says in verse 9, um, Since the day we heard it, 
we do not cease to pray for you. It asks that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so Paul encourages the, the church at Colossae and us to walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord. You know, verse 10, you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so we're instructed to keep walking and learning and growing in the Lord. And he has the power to keep us even when times are hardest. I mean, we, we all sin still uh, and I sin every, every day. And, you know, but we, the Lord's there to, to keep us, keep us from falling and he will never abandon us. So from verse 12, we see the gift that God has given us. Uh, and it's um, verse 12, we see the gift that God has given to us. And it says, um, verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And it goes on and says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And qualified here means that um, to to authorise, to, you know, enable us to um, be the, you know, be his children, give us the inheritance. He's authorised us to have his inheritance. And that brings us out of the darkness into the light because God's inheritance is our new life. And it, it's a big thing really going through Colossians is this whole journey from if we have Christ, we are out of the darkness and into the light. And even though we, we still sin, Christ's blood, and in 14 it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So even though we still sin and we're, we're still going through that transition, we are covered by Christ's redeeming blood and our sins are forgiven through him. So we've moved from the kingdom of earth into the kingdom of God. And that's through God's inheritance. And our debt is paid. We're set free from the, the bonds of sin. So in verse 15, we are looking at... So this is what I was talking about earlier, about um, Christ is God. He's the creator. He's... You know, he is God. In this period, a lot of religions had polytheistic God uh, religions and various different gods. But what Paul's trying to say here is, is God and Christ are the same thing. They're, they're one, and, and the Holy Spirit. Sorry. All, all three are one. And I don't know if the Colossians were, I mean, it's hard enough to try and get your head around it today but imagine if you're in a society and you know every all other religions had i don't know hundreds <laughs> hundreds of gods for for different situations you know if you were going sailing you'd pray to poseidon or neptune or you know if you're going to war you'd play pray for pray to mars or Ares. all these different things but you know the colossians maybe we're struggling with that. And so in these, you know, from 15 to 20, we see that Christ is, is fully God. And I'll read it through. So he says, he's the image of the invisible God, 
that image here isn't a representation, if that makes sense. It's not like a painting where stuff can change, you know, where they make kings look better than they did because they don't want to get their head lopped off or something. An image here is a is a reflection. It's a you know a, a exact representation. That's what the word means here. So here's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn all over all creation. For by him all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him, for him. And he is before all things, and in, in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preminiscence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So we see there that Christ is over everything. He was, he was creation. He created all things. And if we look back at Genesis 1, 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the darkness was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, this is the word, let there be light. So Christ was there, he, he was the creator, he is the creator. And all things are under him. All powers, countries, um, governments are underneath Christ. But he was man, he was fully God, and he was fully man. But he was he is the human form of God. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can forget that God came to earth as a human and experienced all the things that we experienced. You know, he, he experienced uh, loss and grief and joy and sorrow and all these things. He, he, he knew how it was for us to, to live on earth. So he was fully man and fully God. And he knows our struggle, that he was tempted. He was tempted in the, in the desert. Um, but he, he still remained perfect. That his love for us was so great that he spent 30 years-ish on earth so that we could spend eternity with him. And in verse 20 it says, Having made peace through the blood of his cross. And, you know, he reconciled us to him and saved us through his blood and his resurrection. So verse 21 um, speaks of the separation, really, between us and God uh, and coming out of the darkness into the light. And it says we're alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. But he has reconciled us. So we've got the hope and faith that Christ died for the forgiveness of our sin. And that gap that separated us, that void, is now closed. And although we continue to sin, our salvation is complete and 
it, it doesn't lack anything. We are holy in God's eyes because of the sacrifice through Christ. So we, we'll move into chapter two now. But I mean, seriously, it's not a long book to read or listen to and it's well worth it because it, it gives you such an insight into how um, how glorious Christ is really. He, he wasn't just a man who was, you know, I think I've heard this in some places, some people, some sects <laughs> believe that Christ was a man who was chosen but that's not the case he was he was god who was who came to earth he wasn't a chosen man because of any reason he was you know he was god and he, it's really fantastic to see that spell out for us here so this is uh, chapter two sort of um comes more back in uh, away from the um glory not away from the glory of christ it's still there away from the preeminence of christ and into what the situation was with colossians uh colossa and at this time they were struggling with some ideas of greek theology or you know philosophy sorry and, and that was sort of creeping into the church and so it talks about in chapter two, um, verses two and three, or verse three, really, we'll just read that. So chapter two, verse three says, and this is talking about Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, and the opening bit of this until uh, verse 10 really talks about how we don't need philosophy or you know we don't need to have answers all the time I know I've been well in faith builders we've been looking at some things over the past year and we taught Ruth did a series on heaven and it, it was fantastic and but there's some questions that we just can't answer until we get to heaven <laughs> and really it made me think was um, not everything needs an answer in in my opinion the answers there's loads of answers in the in the bible to questions we have but sometimes we we don't need the answer we just need to have faith and trust and you know offer it to god in prayer um because sometimes question or the answers i'm looking for aren't going to further my faith they're not going to help me <laughs> in my journey with the Lord they're just sort of a a distraction to to what we should be doing or what I should be doing for God so we don't need philosophy we don't need um, you know to to try and find answers for everything it's good to explore the Bible and try and understand things that we don't understand but we don't need to find an answer for absolutely everything we don't we don't need that we have enough in Christ and the answers are there that we need and, and then another thing that was um, happening at this time was that 
there were Jews with uh, Jewish people within the church who, um, when Gentiles became saved, they thought that they should take on the same um, sort of Jewish law or Jewish customs as um, as them, and so you know we we see that we we don't need to do that in verse. 16, oh, I'm rushing through a little bit. In verse 16, we see that Paul says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Christ is all we need, and rules are good sometimes, but the over religious aspect that was happening at this time and you know you can't eat this you can't do that you can't you know these certain festivals must be observed and we saw it in Jesus's time when he um healed people on a on a on the sabbath you know Christ is the new covenant he's our new <laughs> rule book so to speak because he spilled his blood before Christ Sin had to be accounted for with um, a blood offering. But Christ came and his sacrifice became the blood offering for us for all eternity. I think I'll probably leave it there and maybe come back to it another day. But I've sort of done a really quick fire, if I can find it, quick fire list of things to take away from where we got to. So... I'll run through it. So chapter 1, um, verse 15, is the, uh, is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, he is the creator. 17, he sustains everything. 18, he's the head of the church. He is our head, the, the, the figure of our body. And then we see he's our... In our salvation, uh, verse 21 to 22, we are reconciled through his death and resurrection. Verse 27 says, he is our hope of glory. And God gives us the answers in chapter 2, like we've just said. Um, He's the source of knowledge for us. And he provides the answers. And then in verse 8, we see we don't need, we'll read this quickly, beware lest anyone cheat you with philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So we don't need worldly philosophy when we've got Christ. He is our philosophy, so to speak. And then finally, what we've looked at just was um, the importance of Christ in our religion, you know, our observance of, of what Christ preached. So in chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, we see that um, we're made new through Christ. We are a new creation. It talks about, um, in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So we, we know what that means. It's, you know, I don't want to get too involved in that, really. 
by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So we, we are made a new person in, in Christ. We are a new creation in him. We are told to put off the body of sin and put on the, the body of Christ. And then finally, uh, verses 16 to 23, we don't need religious symbolism or, or ritual um, to, to be saved. And, you know, I think the biggest example for this is uh, the dying thief. He, he, he couldn't do anything, you know, and work is the biggest example of works not saving people. He, he, was, he was a thief, he'd been convicted to death, and while he was nailed to the cross, he, he, he was saved. He couldn't do anything, he, you know, there was no chance he could um, take the sacrament or, you know, get baptised or, you know, and that's the biggest thing for me is that hope that we can have that although the um, religious symbolism is important, you know, the, the Lord's Supper is important for us to, as a reminder of Christ's sacrifice for us, it, all we need to do is believe that Christ died for our sin. Uh, and I believe that is, that is the gospel. Christ died for your sin, but he took that for you. So, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs>